Thank you, Pastor. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter number 5. Pastor, would you bring me that bottle of water, please? Luke, chapter number 5. And it's such a joy to be uh, back at 10 Mile. And uh, this is really one of my favorite places to come to. And of course, this is, uh, for those of you that don't know, this is uh, my hometown uh, where I was born and raised in McLeansboro. And uh, spent a, we spent a few years in uh, North City. My dad pastored in North City, uh, I think, for four years. And then uh, we moved back to this area and between Bell Rive and McLeansboro. And, uh, but I graduated from McLeansboro in 1968. I know I don't look that old, but that's the year I graduated. That's not funny. All right. And, uh, but uh, this is an exciting church. This is an amazing church. I hope you don't take for granted what God has given you here and that, uh, and that you're excited to be plugged into a church such as this, church that's growing, church making an impact, making a difference in a lot of people's lives. And uh, I said it when I was here in March, and I meant it, and I'll say it again. I believe your best days are uh, still in front of you and not behind you. There's a lot of great things that are yet to happen uh, here for you at 10 Mile Baptist Church. And uh, so I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of getting people to Jesus. I really think that that is... Uh, uh, probably the most important thing that the Lord's left us here for. There's maybe other things uh, as well, but I believe this is the most important thing. When God saves us, if, uh, if he didn't want us to reach others, then when he saved us, he would take us on home at that time. But he's left us here for a reason. After he saves us, he gives us a purpose for being here. And I think that the main purpose, the main reason uh, number one is to honor God. In everything that we do, we honor God. And that's uh, the number one thing at Timberley Ministries. That our goal is to honor God in our ministry and everything we do. That should be the goal here at Tim Mile. And, and in every uh, thing, every event, uh, every meeting, every uh, 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 team meeting, every ladies meeting, every men's meeting, every church group meeting, that you honor God. That'd be number one. And then number two, that you would have a desire to see people come to Christ through what you're doing. So that when you're planning an event, when you're planning on doing something here, that, that the goal is to honor God and then to see people come to Christ at the same time. And I believe that does honor God. When we're seeing people saved, that honors God. The Bible says that there's rejoicing in the presence of angels over one. You think, you imagine that when one person comes to Christ, they have a holy eruption in heaven because of that one person coming to Jesus. And if they're getting excited about it up there, how much more excited should we get about it down here? Amen. And, um, and then the third thing, and this is our ministry, and I, I think that it probably should be uh, for all of the ministries as well, churches, that we, uh, that we see a real genuine, genuine revival in our day. And I, I'm, I'm not an alarmist, but I am a realist, and I will tell you right now that we are in trouble. This country's in trouble. This world's in trouble. And the only good thing that I've got to tell you this morning is that my God is still on the throne, and he's still in control. And it may not look like it sometimes. We may throw our hands up in desperation and say, what in the world is going on? But God is still in control. God has not gone to sleep. God's never even taken a half a grain of baby aspirin to worry about things, all right? He's still in charge. But we are in a mess. And boy, if there's ever been a day when we needed a touch of real revival and for God to move in our hearts and lives, it is today. And so let's look at this story. In Luke chapter number five, this is a great Story, look, we begin reading at verse number 16. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that 
there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Remember that last statement. And the power of the Lord was present. I believe that most of us who love the Lord, we claim the name of Jesus and we really say we love the Lord. I believe we do. Maybe it's not as much as it should be sometimes, but I believe we have a desire to see the presence of the Lord, a manifestation of the power of God in our church services. It's my prayer. I, when, when I come to church, uh, when I uh, got ready for church this morning, I was praying for God to be so real here today at Temple Bible Baptist Church that it's not just another church service that that we didn't get together and say we're just going to have another meeting, but really that we want God to do something unusual and something different in our midst here this morning and tonight. And um, but so our problem is not that we don't that we don't want to see uh, the manifestation. We do want to see it, but the problem is we're not willing to pay the price. There's something else happened before verse number seventeen. It says he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Who withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed? Jesus. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, young people, if it is important enough for Jesus to withdraw himself, to get away from everything, and for him to go into the wilderness and pray, how much more important is it for you and I to withdraw ourselves and to pray. Oh, we want the power of God. We want to see God do something. We want revival. But there's something that happens before that. It's prayer. Oswald said that prayer does not lead us to the greater work. He said prayer is the greater work. And, and it, must, it must be work. You remember, you remember when the Lord was in the garden and he's getting ready to be crucified and, and he's praying, Jesus is praying in the garden. He's praying, he's so, he's praying so hard that the Bible said that his sweat was as if drops of blood. Wow. But then when you look around at his disciples and they had gone to sleep. While he's getting ready to go to the cross. And while he's praying in earnest, they've gone to sleep. He said to them, could you not tarry for one hour? I, I don't know. I'm not a legalist, so I'm not going to set a fat, hard, fast number. But could it be that the Lord was saying to you and I that maybe one hour a day? Wow. You say, Tim, that's extreme. Well, how about, how about, Ten minutes a day. How would that work? I don't think that's so extreme. To pray for ten minutes a day for the power of God in your life, for the manifestation of God's power, for God to do something unique and unusual in your life, you want it to happen at the church, then it's got to happen in your life. Prayer does so many things in the life of the believer. I think sometimes we hear a preacher mention the word prayer and we just automatically just kind of push him out because we've heard so much about prayer that we almost know what he's going to say about prayer before he says it. But think about it this morning. Prayer does so many things in the life of the believer. Just take the acronym, the, the letters of the word prayer. Very quickly, I'll give them to you this morning. These are these are the things. You can write it out in your Bible that prayer does. Prayer, number one, the P in prayer. Prayer protects God's people. You want protection of this mean old wicked world? You learn how to pray. God loves you this morning. You're his child. God cares about you. And you learn how to pray. And, and, then, and, then, and then God will protect you. Daniel did not learn how to pray in the lion's den. Daniel was praying before he got to the lion's den. 
And you learn how to pray now because it's not a matter of if trials are going to come. They're going to come. Troubles are going to come. Problems are going to happen. But if you're praying before they get there, then you'll be all right when they do come. You'll still be praying. You'll be all right. But pr prayer, is not a, prayer is not a spare tire in the trunk of the car. Prayer is not a fire escape. Prayer is not just for, for you when you get in trouble. God doesn't want us praying for him just when there's problems. He wants us praying all the time. Prayer protects God's people. The first R, the first R in prayer. Prayer reveals the truth of God's word. And that is so important. You want to understand this book? You need to talk to the author. You need to have a discussion with the author of the book. You know what? A, a book always means a little bit more to me when if, if I meet uh, someone that, that I'm reading their book or I have read their book in the past and then all of a sudden I meet them and I, and I begin to talk to them and, think, and then that book comes, it, it becomes something different to me. And when you get introduced to the author, and when you walk with the author, and when you have fellowship with the author of this book, this book is going to come to life for you. Prayer reveals the truth. We live in the most educated generation there's ever been. But I hear people all the time telling me, well, the Bible's just too hard to understand. Really? Grandpa didn't have but a sixth grade education, and he didn't have any trouble understanding it. You know why? Grandpa believed the Bible was the Word of God. And if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and you study it, and you have a prayer life where you're talking regularly to the author of this book, the truths of this book are going to come to life in your life. An A in prayer. Prayer answers God's enemies. You say, I don't have any enemies. Oh, yeah, you do. If you're on God's side, you've got enemies. If you profess to be a believer, if you profess to be a Christian, you've got automatic enemies. The friends of this world are not friends of God. The people of this world don't love your God. They don't love your Jesus. They don't love your Bible. There are actually people in this world right now who would just as soon see you get your head chopped off of your shoulders than to hear you talk about Jesus and hear you mention the Bible. So prayer answers. You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel and the Baal prophets? And it was one. It was one against 800. I, I mean... I mean Elijah was not intimidated by the crowd. The majority is not always right. We've proved that in elections before. The majority is not always right. And Elijah was not intimidated by these Baal prophets. They were, they were worshiping false gods. It was, it was like worshiping a piece of wood, a piece of stone, an animal. And so Elijah said, let's just find out whose God is really God. And you know the story. Elijah said, you all can go first. And they began to cry aloud. They built this altar. They put this sacrifice. And they decided whoever's God could rain fire down and consume the sacrifice, that would be the true and the living God. And the false prophets cried aloud to their God. Of course there was no answer. And they even became so desperate. They believed in their false God so much that they began to cut themselves. And still there was no answer. Of course there was no answer. Their God is dead. And then when they were finished, they said, well, our God didn't answer, but let's see if yours is any better. <laughs> Elijah decided to have a little fun with them. He said, go down and get some barrels of water and, and bring them and pour over the pour over the sacrifice, and it did, and it filled up the trenches around the sacrifice. And then Elijah gets on his face, and he prays a 63-word prayer, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and answers the enemies of the man of God that day. You want your enemies to be answered? You learn to pray. Prayer, the why in prayer? Prayer yields God's provisions. This is a good one. 
prayer yields God's provisions. You have need of something, you learn how to pray. Now, don't misunderstand me. Prayer is not all about asking. It, it includes that. The Bible says you receive not because you ask not. But if all your prayer life is is just asking for God for stuff, and that's it, and there's nothing more to your prayer life, that's not much of a prayer life. Prayer life, prayer is a communication. It, it, prayer is, is, is you and I talking to God. And then when we pray and we open up the scriptures, then he can begin to talk to you and I. Prayer yields God's provision. You have need of something. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm not alarmist again. I'm a realist. I look out across and see what's happening in my country today and what's happening in this world. And, and I see the Bible being lived out, being played out. Where, when the Bible said that it was going to get worse and worse in the last days, I think it's happening right before our eyes. Things are getting worse. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a lesson that the Lord can teach us and for us to be more dependent and to trust him more. But when you get so to the point that you don't have food enough to put in the cabinets of your house, that means you might ought to be on your knees and talking to God. It means you ought to be praying. You don't have a job, pray for a job. You need something for you and your family, there's nothing wrong. Pray for an automobile. Pray for a house. Ask God for it. And watch what God does. And watch how God responds. You, God loves his children. And you know what I believe personally? I believe God loves doing things for us. That's what I believe. I'm not talking about name it and claim it, but I am talking about praying about it and asking about it and seeking God's face about it. I, I love doing things for my children. I really love doing things for my grandchildren. My kids just thought they were spoiled. They, they look now at me and say, Dad, you wouldn't have let us do that. You weren't my grandchildren either. But I believe, I, I love doing things for my children and my grandchildren. I, I believe far more God loves doing things for us. But I believe he wants us to ask him. And I do believe he would like for us to say, thank you. And then the E in prayer. Prayer edifies God's people. Prayer edifies. We ever been a day when we need to be edifying and encouraging and, and, and helping each other? Man, it's this day. It's today. I prayed for your pastor before I came to the pulpit this morning. I, there's no way that your pastor and I could be arguing with each other and fussing with each other and me come to the pulpit and preach. I would not, that would not be, I could not be right with God and do that. We need to be praying for each other, encouraging each other, blessing each other and helping each other. Let me tell you something, Tim Mile Baptist Church, when God sent this man to you, God sent you one of his choice servants. I hope you don't take it for granted. I hope you appreciate it. But, but you learn to pray for him. Your pastor's not perfect. He's made mistakes before. He'll make them again. He's not perfect. You pray for your worship leader. You pray for your team leader. You pray for the leadership of this church. They're not perfect. They make mistakes. But if you're praying for them, it'll be awful hard for you to get angry with them. Husbands and wives praying for each other. Your wife comes at you with that iron skillet. You say, well, we better pray about this. Well, hey, you better have been praying before she gets the skillet. Amen. But then the last R in prayer, and this is where we want to be this morning, prayer releases God's power. There are switches in the back of this auditorium that turn on these lights. Do you know what it does? It allows the power, the electricity, to go to the light bulbs and produce light. We, we've got access to the greatest power there's ever been. The prayer, the power of prayer, prayer releases God's power. 
And again, if there's ever been a day. So the first thing we see in this story is the manifestation of the power of God. Again, verse number 17, and it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And here it is, and the power of the Lord was present. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. If there's ever been a day, if there's ever been a time when we needed to see the manifestation of the power of God, it is now. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31 says that they prayed. And then it says that the place was shaken. And then it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Before they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they prayed. And then the place was shaken. And then they were filled with the Spirit. And then they spoke the word with boldness. You want to speak? You want to courageously stand for the Lord in these last days in the midst of the naysayers, in the midst of the critics, in the midst of those who want to throw cold water on Christians, you want to you speak with boldness, you better have a prayer life. In Acts chapter number 1, and verse number 8, but ye shall receive power. Does that interest you? This is Jesus talking to the believers. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. There's a process. It, it's not just you're going to go out and the Holy Ghost comes. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you. But remember, prayer, 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 prayer comes before all of this. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. What are you going to do with this power? Is it something for you to brag about? Is it something for you to pat yourself on the back about? Man, I've got the power. I've received the power. I've received the spirit of, of the Holy Ghost. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Is it so you can brag about it? No, it's so you can witness. So you can tell people about Jesus. It's not just the pastor's job to witness. It's not just the deacon's job to witness. It's not just the leadership position, uh, people in position uh, of leadership to witness. It's the whole church's responsibility. You are to be a witness. But the way you become this witness is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there was a manifestation. But not only was there a manifestation of the power of God. I want you to look at verse number 18. Luke chapter 5 and verse 18. And behold, men brought in a bed, a, a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means. First of all, we saw the manifestation. Now we see the means. And they sought, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. We said to him, why didn't they just bring him in? What was so hard about that? Just pick him up and bring him into where Jesus is at. Well, they had a serious problem that day. The building was full. The building was jam-packed. No one else could get in the room. If the fire department had shown up, they would have closed the meeting down. It's full. Isn't that a... Great problem to have Jesus is teaching in the house and the people have come to hear him and it's so full that these four guys cannot get this one man to Jesus. So it says they sought means. They didn't give up. You know what? If it had been our, our, if it had been our, our nice uh, hyper-Calvinist friends, they would have said, well, this must not be one of the elect. And they would have just left him. And And... This idea that some people are born to go to heaven and some people are born to go to hell is not a truth, of, an ounce of truth of that in the Word of God. It, that matter of fact, that stuff is out of the pits of hell. God loves the whole world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all, a double L. You know what that word all means in the Greek? It means all. That's deep stuff, huh? If, if it had been some of our, our more pessimistic friends, they would have said, well, 
It ain't going to happen today. We're just going to have to give up today. We'll try it some other time. But you know what? They didn't know whether there was going to be another time to get this man to Jesus. This was their opportunity. They were so burdened. They were willing to do anything to get him to Jesus. And so they had a, they had a special promotion that Sunday. They called it Cut a Hole in the Roof Sunday. They went up to the top and cut a hole in the roof. And listen to this. It wasn't even their house. Imagine the wife looking at her husband and saying, what are they doing? We're going to have to call a roofer Monday morning. They've ruined our roof. But the bigger picture is they're getting this man to Jesus. They're using the means and the methods that are at their disposal. And here I am telling you this morning, church, that we live in the greatest days of means and methods that there has ever been. You imagine if the Apostle Paul could have had a Boeing 47, 747. You imagine what he could have done. Huh? He rode donkeys. He, 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 he was on broken down boats. He, he, he was crippled himself, and he had been beaten himself. And, 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 and now, but in his day, they turned their world upside down for Jesus. Why? They were using the means and the methods that were at their disposal. We've got these means and methods. And they're, they're I mean, the internet and radio and television and, and the printed press and, and travel and all of this. But we may be doing less to reach our generation for Christ than any generation before us. The means and the methods are there. <laughs> but not only that. Look, look, we'll go ahead and read verse number 18 and 19 again. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop. And let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. So there's the mean, there's the there's the manifestation, there's the means, and now the motivation. What motivated these guys? Get the picture in your mind. Here is a here's four guys, and here's one guy who's sick, he cannot help himself. That is a picture of a lost person. Lost people can't help themselves. They're spiritually dead. And so, and so they're going to take this man into the house where Jesus is at and believing, believing that Jesus can help him. What motivates them to do this? I, I don't think it's healthy. For you and I to constantly judge each other's motives. I think that could be dangerous. But on the other hand, I think it's very healthy for you and I to judge our own motives. Why do I do what I do? Why am I an evangelist? Why do I want to preach? Why be a pastor? Why be a missionary? Why sing in the choir? Why sing on the platform? Why be a Sunday school teacher? A deacon? Why work in the nursery? Why work with teenagers? Yeah, why work with teenagers? Some people have their head examined there. I'm just teasing. But why do you do what you do, people? And again, it goes back to what we started with this morning honoring God and all that we do and then getting people to Jesus. That's our goal. That's our desire. That's our motivation. That's why we do it. That's why we have church on Sunday morning. That's why we have church on Sunday night. We come here to worship Him, but we want to see people come to Jesus. So we've seen the manifestation. We've seen the the means and the methods, we see now their motives, but what about the misgivings? Look, if you would, go back to verse number 17 again. And right in the middle of that verse, as he was teaching that, 
there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by. And then go down to verse, go down if you would to verse number uh, 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? They're talking about Jesus. Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, we who believe the Bible is the word of God, we know that Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus was 100% man. He was 100% God. He said, how do you explain that to him? I cannot explain it any more than I can tell you how a black cow can eat green grass, give white milk, and turn to yellow butter. I don't know how it happens, but it does. Jesus was God. And they're saying, they're, they're questioning him out loud. And, and, and how, who can forgive sins but God alone? So here, not only do you have a manifestation, not only do you have the means, not only do you have the motives, but now you have the misgivings. So when, when we see a manifestation of the power of God, and when we see things begin to happen, when we see people getting saved and, and lives being changed and families being put back together and all of a sudden a spirit of revival breaks out, let me tell you what happened. The troublemakers come out of the woodwork. The Pharisees, the, the critics, the troublemakers, there's always someone that when something good happens, they want to throw cold water on it. They, they don't like it. They want to discourage you. And you got to understand, friend, that when you decide that you're going to do something for Jesus with your life, you've got to understand that not everybody's going to say, at a boy or at a girl. Not everybody's going to pat you on the back. Not everybody's going to think it's a great idea. You've got to understand up front, there's going to be some misgivings. But all through the Bible, you find people that were doing great works for God. And you, yet you find the ones that were, that were the naysayers. You find the ones that were the critics and the ones that were troublemakers. Nehemiah goes to build a wall. And this is a great work. This is a mighty work. And God has led him to do this work. But then comes the troublemakers. They throw cold water. They tried to discourage. When I first began in, in ministry and God called me to preach, I've been married for about a year and then I began to believe that God wanted me to preach and I, and I confess to you this morning that was actually the last thing I wanted to do with my life. I did not want to be a preacher. I was raised in a preacher's home. I didn't want to be a preacher. And, and yet God wouldn't leave me alone. And uh, and I went forward and I surrendered in my dad's church where he was pastoring at the time, the Belleville Baptist Church, and I went forward and surrendered the call to the ministry. And, and there were, the majority of the people were for me and, the, and they were excited, they were happy. But there were some that tried to discourage me. They were not being mean or ugly about it, but they were saying, man, you're in a wheelchair and you don't have any legs and you're going to preach? I didn't know anybody that ever done that either, like that. But I knew God had called me. And when you know that God has called you to do something, you can't look around and worry about what people are going to say and what people are going to think. You just got to set your face like a flint toward the true and the living God and believe that if the Lord guides, the Lord provides. If he tells you to do something, he's going to give you the ways and the means to do it. And then one day, I, I believe that God was calling me to be an evangelist. Uh, an evangelist. And, and my family and I moved, moved into a, a 40-foot, uh, well, first was a 32-foot motorhome, and then we saw that wasn't big enough. Then we got a 40-foot fifth-wheel trailer and a four-door pickup truck. And then we were having the time of our life. We were preaching in churches uh, Brother Jacob, that the average 35 on Sunday morning, 50 on Sunday morning, 65 on Sunday morning. 
25 on Sunday morning. We go Sunday through Friday for revival. And I'm going to tell you, I was having the time of my life. I thought, this is, a, this is great, man. And then all of a sudden, God began to open up doors that I had never dreamed of. I never even imagined would ever be open to me. And I, I was having the time of my life. But then all of a sudden, the critics came out of the woodwork. Not necessarily the people that any of you would know, but there were, there were folks that began to criticize me about where I preached and who I was preaching for. And, and man alive, I, I was having the time of my life, and I'm thinking, why are they so upset? I think a lot of it might have been jealousy, to be quite frank with you. And, you, and if, if, if Tim Miles gets satisfied and you just get happy with where you're at, you don't ever want to grow anymore, you don't want to do anything else, you know what God will do? He'll take his hand of blessing off of you and he'll go bless somebody else. And that's why you don't ever get, you ever quit. If, I don't know what you're running down in attendance, but you can run more than that and then you can run more. There's a whole world out there that's dying and going to hell. Somebody's got to reach them. And, and so I, I almost got off track. I almost went after those people and, and made it my mission to correct them. But then God said no. And God told me that he could take care of it a whole lot better than I could. God can take care of your critics a whole lot better than you can, friend. The main thing for you to just keep on doing what God has called you to do. Keep teaching that Sunday school class. Keep singing the praises of Jesus. Keep witnessing. Keep giving. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Keep up. Now, the last thing this morning, I want you to see. Go back, if you would, to Luke chapter number 5. And I want you to, in verses 18 and 19, you know, they used the means and the methods. They got him up to the top, and they dropped him down through and the, look at this, the crowd's all down below. Can you imagine those Pharisees? Can you imagine those Pharisees that day? I, this is the funny part of the story to me. The Pharisees are there for one reason, to find fault with Jesus. That's the only reason they came to hear Jesus that day. To, they want him to make one mistake. If, they make one, if he makes one mistake, they got him. So they're trained on Jesus. They're watching Jesus. They're eyeballing Jesus. And then all of a sudden, one of these Pharisees feels something on top of his head. It's a piece of ceiling tile. And Pharisee 1 punches Pharisee number 2 said, look up there. Pharisee, Pharisee number 2 about has a heart attack. There's eight shiny eyeballs looking down at him. And, and then Pharisee number 1 said to Pharisee number 2, we didn't vote on that in business meetings. There's some Baptists actually believe that if you didn't vote on it, God can't do it. And, and, and there, they, there they are. And here this guy is, and they're lowering him down. And the Pharisees are watching it happen. They're, about, they're, they're wanting oxygen, they need help. And they're lowering this man down to get him to Jesus. And then look at what Jesus says. Look at verse number 21. Or excuse me, verse number 20. And when he saw their faith, oh, that is a great statement. And when he saw their faith, when he saw whose faith? The man with the palsy? His faith? No. When he saw their faith, the four, who lowering this man down to Jesus. When he saw their faith, then he said unto him, man, Thy sins are forgiven thee. Woo. They saw it. He saw their faith. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can Jesus see any faith in you today? I'm talking especially about in relationship. Can he see any faith in you as far as you having a burden to see your family members get saved? Your friends get saved. Your neighbors get saved. Your classmates get saved. Your co-workers get saved. Is there any faith? Do you have any faith at all that they're going to be saved? That's a good question. He saw their faith. He looked at them. And so then he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. So the, 
the last thing this morning is the message. You have the manifestation, you have the means, you have the motivation, you have the misgivings. But now you've got the message. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Be my last scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, and what was the message? What is the message? What's the message for you and I today? Moreover, brethren, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved. Folks, did you get it? It's the gospel. This is how you get saved. This is what the world needs to hear. By which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you the first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. There is the gospel, death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the message. Hey, means and methods change. We use something today for reaching people for the Lord with means and methods. We may not use 10 years from now, but let me tell you this, 10 years from now, we'll still be preaching the gospel if the Lord tarries his coming. 20 years from now, it'll still be the gospel. 100 years from now, it'll still be the gospel. This world needs the gospel. This is the only way your family and friends are going to get saved. And, and, and it's great. I, I want you to pray for your family and your friends and your neighbors. I want you to have a burden for them. I want you to call their name out, but when's the last time you invited them to church? When's the last time you actually had a gospel conversation with them? I mean a real, I'm not talking about an argument. I'm not talking about fussing. When's the last time you had a real gospel conversation with a lost neighbor, a lost friend? He said, well, Tim, I, I'm not really very smart and don't know a whole lot of Bible about the, I'm not talking about you're dumb about other things, but I'm talking about you, maybe you're a new Christian, you don't know a whole lot of Bible. Well, I, I promise you if, you, if you said, can somebody teach me how to show a lost person to get saved? If you go to your pastor, he can show you. In the scriptures, you don't need to know a whole lot of Bible. You just mark in your Bible. You do you do like, I've done a thousand, tens of thousands of others, right? The very first verse, you would start out with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come show the glory of God. There's where you start at. People have to understand they're a sinner. If they're going to get saved, if they don't understand they're a sinner, if they think they're good, they're perfect, they, they got to understand that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we've all sinned. And then, and then the next verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can use it. We call it sometimes the Romans road. That's a great road. There's other verses and other scriptures that you can use as well. You don't have to be smart. You just mark them and then you go to the next verse and you look and see what the next verse is and you go there and you show them and say, can I show you what the Bible says about this? And then you give your personal testimony. Now, if all you did was join the church, that's not going to be much of a story to tell your lost friends. If all you did was shake the preacher's hand and fill out a card, that's not going to be much of a story. If all you did was get wed in the baptistry, that's not much of a story. But if you got born again, if you got, if you got saved, if God changed your life by the power of God, He took you off the road to hell and put you on the road to heaven, he took you out of a miry clay and set your feet on a solid rock. Now you've got a story to tell. You've got something to get excited about. And when you get excited about it, they're going to tell. They're going to be able to know that you're excited about it. So, the message. You never change. Say, Tim, I get tired of hearing the same thing preached all the time. <laughs> really? How can you get tired of this story? 
the greatest story that's ever been told. How can you get tired of that story? That God loved you so much that he gave his only son to die for you on an old rugged cross. And on that cross he hung between heaven and earth and on that cross he shed his blood and on that cross he died. God's only son died for you and for me and for the sins of the whole world. But he didn't stay dead. This is the great part. This is when you really get to get excited. They kind of think you might have even lost your mind. You're so excited. But of course they didn't think you'd lost your mind when you stood up and screamed for 60 seconds because your son scored a three-pointer or a touchdown. Well, if the world can get excited about a touchdown, I can get excited about the gospel and about people being saved. And this, this is the good part. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he gets up from the grave victorious over sin, death, and hell. And today he's alive. That's the message. That's the gospel. And that's what this world needs. That's what our families need. Our friends need. That's what your children need, parents. If you got to listen to me, parents, I don't, I don't know a lot of you by name. I know some of you, but not all of you. But if you've got a son or a daughter that's getting around 13 or 14, 15 years old and they, and they and they're, have not made a profession of faith, it is cause for time for a little bit of alarm for you to get more burden than you've ever been and more concerned than you've ever been because if they keep going on and on and on and saying no to Jesus and you don't have this conversation in your home with your son or your daughter, you may lose them. The devil wants them. I'm telling you up straight up. You better get a burden for them now. You better weep over them now. You, you, got a, you got a son or a daughter that's a prodigal son or a daughter. Prodigal son or daughter, and, and they're running from God. Maybe they have been saved, but they're out of the will of God. They're running from God. You better get a burden for them. The devil wants them. This whole world wants them. They're throwing everything at them. Your kids are facing stuff today that my generation never even dreamed about. They see things by the time they're 10, 11 years old with their two eyeballs that we didn't even dream about. The devil wants your kids. So you better get a burden for them. There needs to be this manifestation of the power of God. When people come into those church doors, into this church building, they can almost sense and when the singing starts up, that there's, there's something different. They're actually singing those songs like they believe them. They actually acting like they like that, what they're singing. Well, of course we do, because it's the truth. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. Of glory to buy all my soul. Let's bow our heads this morning. If you have never been saved, if your life has never ever been changed by the power of God, remember we're not talking about being baptized, we're not talking about being a Baptist, we're not talking about being a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Church of Christ or Assembly of God or Catholic, we're talking about being saved. If there's, if there's one shred of a doubt, then this is your day. If there's one ounce of a doubt that you think, well, I'm, I, I'm, not 90, I'm about 99% sure that's not enough, friend. You have to know that you know. I'm going to pray out loud what we oftentimes refer to as a sinner's prayer. It's a prayer similar to what I prayed as a 10-year-old boy at my dad's church in North City. And numbers and numbers of others have prayed similar prayers in their own heart. And if you want to be saved today and you're serious about it here at the front or even there in your seat, then when I pray this prayer out loud, I want you to pray it in your heart. Doesn't have to be these exact words, but something like this. 
Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sins can separate me from you forever. But today, I want to be saved. God, please forgive me of all my sin. Wash me as white as snow. Make me your child. Right now, this very moment, I am trusting Jesus Christ and Him alone as my Lord and my Savior. Take me to heaven when I die, for I am now your child. Our heads are still bowed. No one's looking but myself, the pastors, and the Lord. If you just now prayed that prayer in your heart, here at the front or even there in your seat, Tim, when you prayed that prayer out loud, I prayed it in my heart, and I meant it with my whole heart. No one else looking. Let me see your hands. Hold them up for just a moment. If you prayed with me today, there's one, there's two, there's three, there's four. Keep them up for just a moment, please. Don't take them down. There's four. Anyone else? There's five. Wow. You can take them down. I think it was three adults and two young people. Church, if you're rejoicing in these five saying yes to Jesus today as their Lord and Savior, would you give them a big hand and tell them you're happy for them today? Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.